0: Welcome back to the show on this Monday morning. Phone lines open for you at 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. We'll get back to those phone lines in just a second. Buy or sell coming up later this hour, plus some MLB talk. But here we are, the Super Bowl out of the way. No NBA playoff action for a while. Hockey playoffs are still on the horizon. Opening day in baseball is more than a month away. It's getting a slight bit warmer in most parts of the country. It's been going on for a while But now we all have our full attention, for the most part, on college basketball. So, of course, this is the perfect time to check in with the one and only John Rothstein, college basketball insider of CBS Sports, content creator, fan duel, and host of the College Hoops Today podcast, the only college basketball podcast that runs 52 weeks of the year. John, as always, thanks for the time, man. How are you?
1: Never better. Great to be with you, as always. This is only February.
0: Uh, it's only February, and you, you are always locked in, but this is the time where everybody else kind of starts to fully pay attention to college shoes. So now you've got a little more uh, company with you as you watch all these games.
1: Yeah, people are starting to join from the periphery after, obviously, other sports have concluded. But there is no change in the world of a college basketball junkie, whether it's today the, the national title game or a day in July when you're trying to forecast who is going to finish sixth in the big east for the upcoming year.
0: <laughs> I do have to admit though there are times where when, when I'm in the weeds getting ready for a college football game or an NFL Sunday and it's, you know, mid-October and you're tweeting it's 14 days till opening day or 111 days to selection Sunday. There are times where I wanted to to like tell you to calm down a little bit, but that's why you're you and that's I'm always thankful for the reminder that it's basically always college basketball season.
1: That's right. I'm unapologetic for who I am 365 (laughs) days a year, seven days a week.
0: Um, So we got a a look from the committee over the weekend. They're top 16 seeds at the moment moving towards Selection Sunday. I mean, I don't think it matters that much, but I think what matters to me is who you think is number one right now. So who's your best team in the country as of February 20th?
1: We don't have one. And that's not a top-out answer. It's the absolute truth. College basketball is as balanced this year as we've seen in a number of years. It really reminds me of the 2010-11 season 12 years ago when UConn, a three-seed, who was 9-9 nine and nine in Big East play, went on to win the national championship. In the final four that year, UConn played Kentucky, who was a four-seed, and the other national semifinal – Featured Butler, who was an eight seed against VCU, who started that NCAA tournament in the first four. So I think there's a real, real chance that we could get to Houston and we could not have a single one seed in the final four and maybe even a two seed.
0: So I usually like clarity. So my question is is it good or bad that we don't know who number one is this late in February?
1: I think the unpredictable nature of college basketball with roster turnover, with things that obviously have that type of dynamic creates an unpredictability that's appealing to people from the periphery. And I think people love upsets and Cinderella stories at the beginning. I think people love St. Peter's when they're David and they play Goliath in Kentucky, they play Goliath in Purdue. But I think when we're getting into the depth of the NCAA tournament, A lot of people love brand-name programs playing for the greatest prize in college basketball, and I think that's why last year you had the great run from St. Peter's all the way to the the Elite Eight, but when you thought about a made-for-television Final Four last year with Carolina playing Duke in what was the biggest rubber match in the history of college basketball, and then on the other side having Kansas and Villanova I don't know from a branding perspective in nearly 20 years on this beat if I've ever seen a Final Four really align better than that one.
0: John, Purdue and Zach Eady, I think have been number one for the most part of this season, the most weeks at number one, but they've slumped here a little bit. Is it just a slump, or have we exposed some weaknesses in them?
1: Well, I think the one thing that we have to remind ourselves with Purdue is that Purdue is going to go to battle moving forward with two freshman guards, and the freshman guards that have been absolutely terrific, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. But if you're talking about winning a national championship, if you're talking about making a Final Four, you have to usually have elite guard play. Let's go through right now the backcourts that played in the Final Four last year. Villanova had Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore, who obviously injured his Achilles against Houston in the Elite Eight. Kansas had Remy Martin, Ochai Ogbaje, Christian Brown, and Dewan Harris. Duke had Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keel. And then you look at North Carolina, they add Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Purdue's guards are the million-dollar question right now that we're going to see, obviously, play out over the next six weeks. And make no mistake about it, and I think it's important to put this out there as we are just 20 days away, Andrew, from Selection Sunday, not that anybody's counting. Anything <laughs> less then a trip to the Final Four in Houston will be a massive, massive disappointment for Purdue's staff, its program, and its long-suffering fan base. Now, why do I say they're a long-suffering fan base? Think about what's happened to this basketball program in the last five years. 2018, you have a team that's good enough to get to a Final Four. In the NCAA tournament, Isaac Hobbs suffers an elbow injury. Purdue loses in the Sweet 16. The Texas Tech. 2019, you have a team that is inches away from a Final Four in the Elite Eight against Virginia, and we see that miracle play from Kihei Clark to Mamadi Diakite as Virginia sends the game into overtime and then wins and goes to the Final Four and wins a National Championship. Purdue had that game in hand, and then last year, you've got a team with a lottery pick in Jaden Ivey, with Zach Eadie, with Travion Williams, with Sasha Stefanovic, and they go down to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. If Purdue doesn't make the Final Four, it will be viewed as a massive disappointment. And remember this, if Purdue is the number one seed in the South region, Purdue will have to play Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games if it advances there at the KFC Young Center in Louisville, which is the same venue that Purdue lost to Virginia in the Elite Eight four years ago in 2019. We're sleeping, Max.
0: Uh, there's nobody like John Rothstein. He's with us here this morning on CBS Sports Radio. CBS Sports FanDuel, the host of the College Hoops Today podcast. Uh, you've already mentioned North Carolina more than once this morning, John. Are they and Two more losses this last week for them. Are they the most disappointing team in America right now?
1: I don't think there's any question. And look, the bottom line is this. Player retention is the biggest key normally in college basketball. Think about last year's Final Four. 17 of the 20 players who started in last year's Final Four were in their program the season prior. The three who weren't were Brady Maddox, who transferred to North Carolina from Oklahoma, and two freshmen at Duke, Paolo Banquero and AJ Griffin. The Tar Heels brought back four starters from a team that had a 15-point lead in the national championship game against Kansas and fell to 16 11 on Sunday with a loss against NC State and 0-9 and quad one opportunities. But North Carolina did not bring back Brady Manick, who was the key to that run last year because of the way that he opened up the floor for everybody else. But the real dynamic, I think, that we're seeing is you have guys who came back to college, and obviously want to continue to augment not just their present, but their future. And we don't have, and from my perspective, equal shot distribution. Caleb Love has taken 415 shots this season. Armando Baycott has only taken 293. That's mm-hmm. too much of a discrepancy, from my opinion, Andrew, for the Tar Heels to get where they want to go. North Carolina's got four regular season games remaining. At Florida State, at Notre Dame, home Virginia, home Duke. Got to win a minimum of three out of four to have any chance of putting yourself in position to be in position on Selection Sunday.
0: For a while, Kentucky was with them on that disappointing list. Still not a great year for them, but they did just take down Tennessee again. Are they getting right, so to speak? Are the Wildcats dangerous, or is this going to be a disappointing end to a disappointing season?
1: Well, think about this if you have Kentucky right now in the NCAA tournament and Kentucky can play its way into that eight, nine area of the bracket, there is going to be a number one seed. Maybe it's Houston, maybe it's Alabama, maybe it's Kansas, maybe it's Purdue that in the second round of the NCAA tournament to go to the sweet 16 could look across the sideline and see a hall of fame coach in John Calipari, the reigning national player of the year, in Oscar Sheebway, a potential lottery pick at the lead guard in Case and Wallace, and a player who is burgeoning in terms of his production in Chris Livingston. The more I watch Chris Livingston, who had two great games last week for Kentucky, I see a second coming of Alice Poitras. And it was Alice Poitras that had a big run for Kentucky nine years ago in the 13-14 season when Kentucky didn't have a great regular season, but wound up going all the way to the national title game and losing to UConn. Where did Kentucky start that season's NCAA tournament? In an 8-9 game against Kansas State. And then if you remember, Kentucky beat Wichita State with The Wichita State team that started that season undefeated and the rest is history. But, Andrew, this is only February.
0: <laughs> uh, and, and today in February, there's a big game in the Big 12 uh, that I know you're pumped for. Tell America about TCU, in particular Mike Miles.
1: TCU is 15-3 and three this season with Mike Miles in the lineup. They are 3-6 and six when he is not in the lineup. Mike Miles is the Big 12 preseason player of the year, and with Mike Miles in the lineup, TCU went to Allen Fieldhouse in January and beat Kansas by 23 points. At full strength, TCU is the best team in the Big 12, which is the best conference in college basketball. I talked to Scott Drew from Baylor last week, and he told me, John, TCU is final for good. And remember this, without Mike Miles, PCU took Baylor to the brink nine days ago in Fort Worth and only lost by four points at full strength. They've wanted Kansas, they've wanted Baylor. Tonight's game in Fort Worth feels like an Elite Eight caliber showdown.
0: I want to give some love uh to the to the Pac-Twelve out west for a second. Mick Cronin was angry about that seed reveal over the weekend. They're the Bruins that right now are fourth in the eight people, but they were eighth, I think, on that list. Who's right, yeah. Mick Cronin or the committee right now?
1: Look, the bottom line is this. UCLA's big wins have not bared the fruit. I think that obviously they hoped that they would. What I mean by that is UCLA, when it put its schedule together and found out that it was going to play Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic, UCLA felt for all intents and purposes that that would be a marquee victory. It's obviously a great victory. You don't want to lose the game, but Kentucky has not, have not had the type of season that obviously hope. But here's the bottom line. The only thing that matters is your next game, because if you don't win your next game, you're not going to be in a situation to not just move up a seed line, but maintain, maintain the seed line that you have. And here's an interesting thing when you look at the resumes. UCLA right now has a chance to have three quad one wins in its final four regular season games. At Utah, at Colorado, and then next week they're going to come home and play Arizona at Pauley Pavilion and also play Arizona State. That doesn't include the Pac-12 tournament. Houston, who was a projected number one seed, has a similar resume to UCLA. Four quad one wins. UCLA right now has five. Houston also has a quad three loss. Houston is the most vulnerable of the number one seeds. And if you look right now, just based on a win perspective in the quadrants, UCLA has more quad one wins and has no quad three losses. But there is obviously more to the resume than that. Houston beat Memphis yesterday without Kendrick Davis. They'll get another crack in the Tigers at FedEx Forum coming up the last weekend of the season.
0: John, I've known you for a while. You know my affection for the Atlantic 10, which seems destined to be a one-bid league this year. Is that a one-year blip or more about the overall standing of that conference in college hoops right now?
1: It's the mismanagement of the Atlantic 10, if we're going to be frank and candid. I mean, the bottom line is this. The Atlantic 10, 10 years ago, had five teams in the NCAA tournament. The Atlantic Ten nine years ago had six teams in the NCAA tournament. And that six bid run in 2014 came after Xavier, Butler, and Temple left the league. But then the move to go from sixteen to eighteen league games affected the scheduling flexibility for this league to have more opportunities in the non conference portion of the schedule to boost. their standing and therefore boost the entire league standing since the Atlantic 10 went to that 18 game league format. The league has not had more than three teams in the NCAA tournament. It has been a constant downward spiral for a conference again that just nine or ten years ago had incredible representation in the NCAA tournament. The Atlantic Ten will be a one bid league, and I don't see it changing anytime soon.
0: Now there are plenty of Atlantic Ten coaches, that I'm sure, have said this to you directly. They say other schools won't play them. Is there is that a fair argument to to some extent?
1: Well, this is what we have to understand for for a second. You know, we are now working via the NCAA tournament selection committee with a quadrant system. So what does that mean? It means that you have to be, you know, I think, you know, in detail enough to put together a non-conference schedule where you're going against teams that can give you the types of wins you're looking for. And a perfect example, Andrew, is what the WCC has done. The West Coast Conference last year got three teams in the NCAA tournament. This is a league that has stayed at 16 league games. San Francisco, when Todd Golden was there last year, now the head coach of Florida, scheduled to the point where it could get enough opportunities. And for people who don't understand, obviously, what the quadrant system means, let me explain it. If you are to earn a quad one victory, that means that you are going to beat somebody at home who is ranked one through 30 in the net. If you are going to get a quad one victory in a neutral setting, You are going to beat somebody who is one through fifty in the net, and if you are going to beat a quad or a quad one victory in an away setting, it has to be one through seventy five. So that means if you are Fordham, a win on the road, let's just say at Kansas would also be the same as if you won a road game at New Mexico, Liberty, Oral Roberts, or North Texas. Mm. You have to secure yourself with these opportunities and knack on the school to figure out. And the Atlantic 10 has also done nothing to help their conferences from a scheduling perspective. We have seen other leagues, and I commend them for this, like the Big East, like the Big 12, develop scheduling alliances to ensure that they're going to get quad one opportunity. The Atlantic 10 hasn't done anything of that nature.
0: John, you're the best. I said it last hour. It's now John Rothstein season. So I'm glad to have you back on the show. And I'm sure we'll talk to you multiple times between now and early April. Thanks for today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon, man.
1: And Andrew, just a public service announcement for your audience out there. There's three things that you don't bring up socially. Politics, religion, and at-large resumes the bubble teams during the first two weeks of next month.
0: <laughs> uh, John, I love you, man. Be good. We'll talk to you soon. Later, man. Uh, that's John Rothstein again, college basketball insider from CBS Sports, content creator from Fanduel, and the host of the College Hoops Today podcast, the only college basketball podcast that goes all year round. Now, I, I am every time I talk to John, he's on this show. He's going to be on a lot of our shows here f- through the network for the rest of the college basketball season. I'm a firm believer in that as a as humans, like we have a certain We have a finite amount of brain capacity. Like there we at some point there's just no more room in our brain for knowledge, for like social cues. John knows so much about college basketball. It is actually what's the right word? It makes me feel like I know nothing. Like I can't remember what my favorite team did in 2018. John just broke down Purdue's. 2018, 19, and 20 March Madness resume. I couldn't even tell you if Purdue was in the tournament those years, and John's going game by game through their history, connecting where they might play this year to the last time they played in that March Madness site. He made an Alex Poitras reference along the way there as well. My assumption is John knows so much about college basketball that, like, he forgets his keys all of the time. Or he, and I was going to say, he like doesn't know how to dress, but he's, he's, a, he's always well-dressed. Like, I don't know how he has room for anything else with the amount of college basketball that he knows. And it's always worth pointing out, he's completely self-made. I'm pretty sure he, like, won a contest here in New York to do college basketball on a local radio station and then has basically been on this meteoric rise, steamrolling into the industry, and he's not wrong in that he does this all of the time, all the time. It's remarkable, and it's just beginning because it is officially John Rothstein's season. Uh, when we come back, it's a manual season. Buyer sells sales next on Rider Than You on CBS Sports Radio. By now, normally, D-Cell would be super angry that we went this late, delay in the start of buy or sell. But Emmanuel Babari is a gentleman. He's a professional. He's waiting patiently. We'll do buy or sell in just a second. But we'll quickly, the phone lines, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Dalton's up first this morning here on CBS Sports Radio. Dalton, thanks for holding, man. I appreciate it. What's up? Not much, man. How you doing this morning, Andrew? Good, good. Thanks for calling. Hey, uh... Quick, quick question. I need your Twitter
1: Twitter handle so I can be able to tweet you. But besides that, I wanted to get in touch on the Eric the Enemy thing. I think, yes, you're right. It is a little bit of a lateral move, but it's also a lateral move with benefits. Because let's think about it. Like you said, Ron Rivera, I mean, come on now. Let's. If you look up in the football dictionary, mediocre coaches, there's a picture of Ron Rivera hugging Mike McCarthy. So I think in a year – that job is uh, head coach job is the enemy. What do you think? That's, I'll listen to the other end.
0: All right. Th- thanks so much, Dalton. So there's a truck backing up for sure, but what was the crunching noise?
2: I have no idea. It sounded like
0: something, some sort of a wrapper. Yeah, I. Like if for- you unfolded some candy. At first, I thought he maybe was, because he's been, I appreciate this, he was on hold since the last hour. So, he's just going about his day, waiting for us to get to him. I thought it might have been him getting a drink, and it was like, the, you know, like, you're going to a 7-Eleven, whatever, a Wawa. And it sounded like the ice crashing into the bottom of a plastic cup. But then it was rhythmically happening. So, rapper makes sense. Was he walking on something weird. It was a very strange noise. I was
2: thinking because of the the beeping, there might be some sort of tractor making a mechanical noise over all right and over in the background.
0: But it was, I was almost waiting for the call to turn into like a prank or a joke or something because there's so much going on behind him. But I think he really had just a point about Eric Bienemy, And he's not wrong either. It could definitely be in Eric Bienemy's head that, hey, let me take this Washington job now because... Um, I can't tell Ron this, but I think Ron might get fired, and then I'll be there to jump in and take over, maybe. Um, but hopefully, again, that this somehow, a year from now, has worked out for enemy, and he gets a chance to succeed or fail as a head coach in the NFL, something that he's uh, a shot that he has definitely deserved and has been delayed in getting. And speaking of delays, without further ado, it's Buy or Sell. What side will
1: Bill take on the biggest issues in the world of sports? It's time for today's edition of Buy or Sell on Writer Than You.
0: All right, you man, it's all yours. Take it away.
1: Let's
2: do it. Kyrie Irving this weekend doubled down on his pre-trade deadline request before the All-Star game. The now Dallas Maverick. Had this to say: What's a bad situation, and why doesn't anybody have the ability to ask for trades? That's what. That's my question. It's just when did it become terrible to make great business decisions for yourself and your happiness and your peace of mind? Not every employer you're going to get along with. So if you have a chance to go somewhere else and you're doing it
0: legally, I don't. I don't think there's a problem with it.
2: So buy or sell, Kyrie actually believes this is good for the league. It isn't simply validating his own decision.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that he's trying to validate his own decision. Buy. The problem is not asking for a trade out of a bad situation. It's asking for another trade out of another bad situation that you made bad. The lack of self awareness and accountability. In these answers from Saturday from him. Shouldn't be surprising, but it still is. Yes, bad situation. You want out. You've got power. Great. But how many more times are we going to do this without realizing that you're part of the problem? Or, you know what? Let's put all the chips on the table. If the Nets suck as an organization, why are we holding back now? Just let it be. Because could it get any worse for Kyrie? He was the only guy booed last night in Salt Lake City. That's how how much of a struggle he has been for fans we even like now. Let it all hang out. You can talk about whatever you want. Tell us all the bad things in Brooklyn. Make yourself the victim here. Tell us why you needed to get out again. No, instead, let's ignore the fact that things were going okay. You were behaving a little bit. You were 18-2 really and two at one point when he and KD were healthy. And then you got bored. You got unhappy because apparently maybe you can't ever be happy. You want it out, and this is all mostly because of you.
2: All right, number two. Kevin Love is taking his talents to South Beach. He's signing with the Heat for the rest of the season. Love and the Cavs agreed to buyout terms this weekend. Ends his nine-year run with the Cavs. Love was averaging career lows. 8.5 points, 7 rebounds, mostly off the bench this year. Pre-buyout. So, buy or sell, Love
0: actually helps Miami's playoff hopes down the stretch. Yeah, I'll buy that. He's not going to walk in and start and those numbers are going to jump to you know 18 and 12 but he'll be useful off the bench the thing I can't figure out here is not that he doesn't deserve the love fest but they buy him out and announce in that announcement that they're going to retire his jersey at some point in Cleveland plus the Cavs are doing him a favor letting him free and he's going to and he's had always been going to Miami he's going to a team in their conference and that they might have to play in the postseason. And since I bought your question, he could have a fact. He could be a factor in that series. You want to cut him loose, you want to retire his number, great, but you'd be within your rights to go, you got to go to the Western Conference, not to a team that we're going to play maybe in, in May. Bye.
2: Tiger Woods just finished his best round since a car crash about a year ago that threatened his career. He finished tied for 45th one under par the genesis invitational this was his first competitive outing since the open championship this past july so buy or sell the question we're all asking the 15 time major winner has one more in store sell
0: sell it's not a major it's not the john deere classic i just i think it's unfair to expect a single win again from tiger we've already got the inexplicable one we got the masters asking for more is selfish, and as we saw this weekend, I just don't think he's ever going to be physically capable of surviving four days. There's always going to be a bad day. It might not be Sunday, but there's going to be a day where his leg, his foot, his back cause a problem that he can't overcome. So I just, I don't, and even said, I'm going to play majors in a couple other events, so he's even just decreasing his odds of winning by playing fewer events. It's just not happening.
2: So speaking of guys getting back into the mix, Rex Ryan is... Looking to get back into the coaching mix, possibly. Former Jets and Bills head coach, current ESPN analyst. Interviewed Saturday for the vacant Broncos defensive coordinator job. Adam Schefters reported that Rex, at age 60, told ESPN he'd only leave the network for, quote, the perfect situation. Buy or sell. After an almost 30-year coaching career, Rex has another chapter on the sidelines.
0: Yeah, I'll sell. Thank you very sell. Much. Mm-hmm. This is great. For Sports Talk Radio, the idea of Rex being back is a great thing. All the jokes come flooding back. Rex on the sideline with that boiler is a great visual. But Rex is the coach at 60 next to Sean Payton, who's not getting any younger. When the Broncos had a good DC already in-house, that maybe didn't align with what Sean Payton wanted to do, so I get that. I understand his connection to Rex Ryan, but there's got to be somebody else that's actually been working in the NFL on the field The last time he coached was 2016, I think, when the Bills fired him. Just stay in TV.
2: Gearing up for unrestricted free agency, Daniel Jones, and he's doing it with new representation. Jones has been represented by CAA since he was drafted by the Giants sixth overall in 2019. He's now switching over to Athletes First, which has negotiated the largest deal in NFL history five different times. (laughs) So, five different times at that time, they negotiated the largest deal. In NFL history, those include Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott. They're mega deals. Buy or sell, this ensures that Daniel Jones's new contract will exceed $40 million annually. I'm going to sell that with a
0: caveat. Sell. Because I think what this means is the franchise tag is what Daniel Jones plays on this year. It sounds like maybe CAA was trying to be a little more realistic with Daniel, and he was like, let's go to athletes first. As you said, they're really good at getting a lot of money, but I don't think the Giants are going to are gonna bite on that because they don't have to. This is a fascinating case study in roster management because at the time it made sense to not exercise the last year of his deal, his rookie deal, because what had he done? And then he has, for him, a career year, and now it looks like the Giants, for cost certainty, should have exercised that option so they're not in this particular situation right now Because best case scenario was a $32 million cap hit for the franchise tag. But at least that's not 45 mil. So to me, you you tag him, you make him prove it to you again, be better than last year. And then we can talk about $45 million.
2: On the free agent quarterback front, Derek Carr's latest stop, Summit, New Jersey. He sat down with Jets representatives, including head coach Robert Sala, new offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. Over lunch, Carr became a free agent on Tuesday and already has the Saints as a possible suitor. Could be meeting with Carolina later this week. The Jets, meanwhile, still waiting on Aaron Rodgers to make his long-awaited decision. Buy or sell car as the Jets' first option.
0: I'll buy that. Buy! In a vacuum, it's Aaron Rodgers easy. But what do you got to give up to get Rodgers and then give him after the fact? And... If the newest whispers of Green Bay are true, that his commitment's being questioned, and he's out of shape, and they were mad, I mean, maybe Derek Carr is a better option, all things considered. And I was the first one that I should have connect Rodgers to the Jets, and Bill thought I was crazy, and that's all we've had since then, basically. And I'd still want Aaron Rodgers over Derek Carr, but Rodgers is flirting with, at least for me now, some of you are probably already there, of just not being worth it because it's never going to end. He's never going to be quiet and not annoying. He's always going to be on the field, but if the best Aaron Rodgers is not going to be on the field, then maybe you just pay less across the board for Derek Carr, even though he's the inferior quarterback. Ceele lives here and is more in tune with New York Giants and Jets day to day. Would you rather have Carr or Rodgers? More in tune than who? Yourself? Well, I mean, this this is your conversation every day, though. You spend a lot of time in Denver and Arizona Uh, and whatnot.
3: I don't... Particularly love either option, but isn't that just fitting for the jet quarterback situation? Always seems to be the case. So, what would
0: if you could put anybody that's not on that roster now, quarterback? Who would you go with? That's and that's, that's available right now. No, yeah. the,
3: I don't like any of the options, but they got to pick somebody. I mean, I,
0: you're I, not even open with going back down the Zach Wilson road and getting a final final answer on him. I,
3: I guess, but to me, going into Week One with him as the guy after what we saw, especially in the back half of this season. It's just blood in the water for the Jet fans. I mean, you can just see that going off the rails quickly. Right. I'd love to see more of Mike White, but he never can seem to stay healthy and stay on the field. And that's another risk you can't take because of the state of the rest of their roster, where they have a lot of talent at these other positions. They're going on a decade plus of not even being in the playoffs. I don't think Derek Carr makes them a Super Bowl team. He probably makes them a playoff team. But in that stacked AFC, it's going to be real difficult, as you know. The only
0: guy that's available right now that i as feel strongly against as a jet is Tannehill. You want to sell me on Garoppolo. You want to sell me on Carl Rogers. I'm listening, but for whatever reason, no thanks on Tannehill.
3: Yeah. And you know, as far as Garoppolo goes, that was like a connection. I thought made a little bit more sense when Mike LaFleur was still the offensive coordinator. Now, Nathaniel Hackett runs a West coast system as well, but doesn't have the relationship and the history with Jimmy G. Whereas LaFleur coming from that Kyle Shanahan Niners tree does. So, it's sort of a lesser of two or three or four evils <laughs> situation you make a good point about with Rogers obviously you're gonna giving up compensation plus the contract right you know, with Carr now having been released that's not the case. Um, I'm curious to see though as he's opted to be released and not waive the trade require or the um, the uh, no trade clause and now he's gonna kind of make his way around for these different visits what does his number end up being? We're talking about Daniel Jones and what right. his, you know, average annual or AP, APY or whatever is going to be. Um, you know, Derek Carr, it seems like, is taking his time to try and build up his market and his leverage with some of these other teams that are interested.
0: Could you see the Jets signing Carr without knowing what Rodgers wants? Or is there a Roger, are they waiting for Rodgers finale before doing anything else? I
3: think ideally they're waiting for Rodgers, but he's such a question mark. I know. It's, I mean... Pers- as far as his headspace is, yeah. not yeah. a question mark as far as what's going to happen if you bring him in, just as far as the darkness retreat. I mean, his is family he, doesn't like is him. He, right, right. Is he even <laughs> going to make that decision once he comes? He said he was, but you could see him I just kind of slow playing this thing, pushing it down the road. And for the Jets, uh, I think sooner rather than later, they're going to need to figure out what direction they're going in for a lot of different reasons. Right? They've added beyond Hackett, some of these other – Additions they've made to their offensive staff have connections to some of the other quarterbacks that are floating around, Carr included. Um, so I would think as they start to lock in on the pre-draft process and what they're going to want to do there as free agency approaches that they're going to want to. Because Rodgers, it's, it's a unique situation where he's not going to be out on the open
0: market. Right. Um, we've got some baseball talks so to get to, but maybe most importantly this morning, we know what the noise was during Dalton's phone call wasn't a nice machine. It wasn't feet. It wasn't a candy wrapper. I'll let you guys know in a second. And you're listening on this Monday morning. Andrew Bogus, Emmanuel Barbari in for Bill and DeSale. Bill's off the rest of the week. Bart Winkler's in this share the rest of the way because I'm sneaking off out of town as well. But Cell shockingly, returns tomorrow, and I'm not going to be here. So thanks to Emmanuel for hanging out with me today. Thanks to Bill, as always, for letting me be in his chair on this Monday. Thanks to you guys for calling in, for tweeting in. Thanks to John Rothstein for being on the show this morning as well, your little college hoops primer, because most of you probably focused on football and other stuff. And now here we are, end of February, almost March. It's time to spend your six or eight weeks caring uh, about Tulane and North Carolina and who the next St. Peter's is going to be. But really the question of the morning, not how do we fix the NBA All-Star Game, did Mac McClung save the dunk contest, how do we stop load management issues in the NBA. The question of the morning is, what the hell was that noise behind Dalton when he called in earlier this hour? And thanks again to Dalton for hanging on for way too long. I missed him when he first popped up at the end of the first hour. Then we talked to John Rothstein, so he hung on, and I appreciate that completely. But then we got him on the phone line Truck beeping in the background, and then a weird crunching noise, rhythmic, couldn't figure it out. I thought maybe it was like ice or something in a cup, a manual suggested, a candy wrapper. It was none of those things. If you remember, Dalton asked in that call too from my Twitter handle so he could could tweet me, which I didn't give him, but he found it anyway, and he was listening after the call. It was a tape gun. And of course it was. Now that he says what it is, it's exactly what it was, a tape gun. My next question, man, would be, should we be worried about what Dalton was taping up with the tape gun? And no, we should not. He followed up with that as well. He works at a scrapyard that sells car parts to Collision centers, so he was wrapping up car parts for shipment. But the noise threw me off. But now it makes total sense. Of course that was a tape gun. So again, thanks to Dalton uh, for letting us know and for calling Let's finish quickly with baseball. And this is a conversation that Bill and I have had on this show more than once. And I don't know that we're ever going to see eye to eye here. Baseball has economic issues. Spending issues. There are a few haves and a lot of have-nots they would like you to believe. Bill thinks that the free spending teams, led right now by Steve Cohen of the Mets, that they should be reined in. That they're bad for the game. And I could not disagree more. What's bad for baseball is the large amount of owners, maybe like two-thirds of the league it feels like, that don't spend, that are happy to sit back and take their revenue-sharing money from the Mets, from the Dodgers, their luxury tax money from any big spending club, and then not funnel it back into their team. And you could pick any of the teams that fall onto this list, Pirates, Royals. Every corner of the country basically has one of these baseball teams, and I think they're the problem. And clearly those owners, those cheap owners, think that Steve Cohen's the problem. So baseball over the weekend announced that it is forming a brand-new economic reform committee. It's only owners, and when they're done, we're not going to get any kind of actual report. This is just owners gaining and compiling information for themselves to maybe go after Steve Cohen. The bottom line is they've got they've got the wrong target. The target's on them. There can be a limit. If you think Steve Cohen's spending too much, I'm listening. We can put something in place to curb spending more so than luxury tax bills that he right now couldn't care less about. So I'm not opposed to a harder limit on spending, but you can't do anything else to the to the top spenders until there's a floor. The NFL's got a salary cap, but most importantly, they've got a salary floor. They force teams to spend, I think it's 80% of the cap. We talk a lot about who's got this cap space, who's got that, that much cap space. They have none. They've got $80 million. That eventually goes away because you've got to spend a certain amount of the salary cap every year. If there is no floor, baseball will suffer more than Steve Cohen spending $350, $400, $500 million. Him putting good players on a marquee team to win games and win titles is just not bad for baseball under any circumstance. There is no, Bill loves the multiverse, there's no universe, there's no simulation where spending money to win is bad. The only bad thing is holding on to your money so your team's not good and you don't win. That's what's bad for the sport. So these owners can for show have this committee and these meetings and I guess in their defense, the Dodgers are sharing this committee and they spend as much as anybody. But until those bottom third owners are forced to spend more on their team That's the biggest problem baseball is facing. They have to create a way where those teams are taking their money, and there's always money. And I know we don't have full look at their books, but every time a team is on the market, a lot of people want to buy one because it's a good investment. If you were going to perpetually lose tens and dozens and millions of dollars, nobody would want it. Everybody wants one. But once you got it, you've got to spend to make it as good as possible. And there are too many teams in baseball that are cool with being bad, that are cool with being cheap, that are cool with just collecting checks and keeping that money where it is and not funneling it back into players. So, again, you want to bring Steve Cohen to wraps a little more, that's fine. But you've got to go much harder and much stricter on the guys who are not spending before you get to the Mets and the Dodgers, the Phillies, Yankees, Red Sox, whomever. Once you handle the bottom, then we can get to the top. But until you handle the bottom, you got to leave the top alone. All right, we should go home now. Two hours is a lot. I Three hours would be asking too much for me and Emmanuel. We've had enough. Uh, Russell Westbrook, by the way, going to the Clippers, so get prepared for a lot of West Brick comments from Jim Rome. He's next on most of these same stations. Again, uh, thanks to John Rothstein. Thanks to Emmanuel. Thanks to CeeLo. Thanks to Bill. No thanks to Dcell. Enjoy your Monday. And thanks to listening. Thanks for listening to Writer Than You on CBS Sports Radio.